Life from the Well is sponsored by Scratch Distillery. Located in Edmonds, Washington, Scratch Distillery crafts delicious spirits from scratch. Every batch is made by hand from local non-GMO organic grains. Head on over to Edmonds and taste the natural, delicious flavors for yourself. If you have an itch for a cocktail, go scratch it. Hi guys, and welcome to Life from the Well. My name's Joey, and I'll be your bartender and host. This is the podcast that brings you behind-the-scenes service industry stories and in-depth cocktail profiles. Thank you for joining us, and enjoy the show. This episode from Life from the Well is served handcrafted by Barfly Mixology Gear, a line of essential tools for mixologists. We here at Life from the Well would love to hear from you. Head on over to lifefromthewell.com forward slash guest and fill out our guest questionnaire so we can get to know you better and we'll be in touch. Life from the Well. Well, joining us today is Shane Merriam. He's a bourbon provocateur for the Garrison Brothers Distillery coming to us today from Tennessee, um, but really all parts of the of the globe i see you get you kind of get around don't you my man uh definitely yeah yeah it's kind of funny when uh when lockdown and uh all the quarantines and everything first happened and i was away from the distillery i'd be on the uh the phone with uh dan garrison our founder and i'd, I'd tell him that uh you know i need to do something i feel like a shark and not because i'm uh, i'm big and bad because if i stop moving i'm gonna die so uh I'm certainly always out there on the road uh, doing whatever I can to, um, you know, spread the bourbon gospel. I appreciate the hustle, man. I really do. That, that, uh, I, I, I feel the same way a bit, you know, it's, as, uh, as there's not many opportunities to bartend these days. This is, uh, this is one of the ways that I keep moving and doing this show and talking to people and having a good time. Um, so cheers. Um, I do like to start the show off with a shot. And since... Um, since I haven't had your bourbon yet and I'm holding it in my hand, I'm going to, I'm going to drink a little bit of it. And I'll well, save I feel, uh, feel privileged that we're popping your cherry on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I figured, I figured when, uh, when else is a, uh, is a better time than to, uh, than real life or real time, right? Our boot flask is the size that you have. That, uh, that boot flask is actually ergonomically designed to fit in your cowboy boot. But, uh, I do suggest when you try to sneak that into the Seahawks games that you you pull the little star off there because I can tell you by experience it will set off the metal detector. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and then the security just got a new flask of bourbon, huh? Well, it's not really. I usually step out of line and say one way or another, this is coming with me. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Cheers. So yeah, we are the very first uh, legal bourbon coming out of Texas, and um, you know, I'll just give you the quick thirty-second points on what you're uh, you're drinking right there. I'm. I'll never tell you what you're tasting because everybody's going to taste something different. I mean, really, unless you tell me blueberries, uh, there really is no wrong answer. But, uh, yeah, first legal bourbon coming out of Texas. We are a weeded bourbon as well. So we're doing all Texas grain in there, 74% white panhandle corn, 15% soft red winter wheat, 11% malted barley. And uh, a little bit different than a lot, especially where I uh, am right now in Tennessee, is we're a sweet mash, not a sour mash. So every single time we're making our bourbon. Brand new grain, brand new water, brand new yeast each and every time. So that's our small batch there, 94 proof, uh, just big, bold Texas bourbon, you know? That's good. That's really good. I like it a lot. Yeah. 
I'll even uh, one-up you there. Uh, we've been doing so many uh, things right now virtually. I'm, I'm sure you have as well with your listeners and everything. But uh, mm-hmm. we turned all our Zoom meetings at Garrison Brothers um, into basically a drinking game. So uh, let me say, anytime I say the word pivot or terroir, you need to take a drink. <laughs> pivot or terroir. All right, cheers. We'll, 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 ma- we'll do our best to match you there. I had a good heavy breakfast, so I should have a, a nice foundation for this. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, liquor's going. We've, we've got the social lubrication flowing. Um, right on. So, Shane, um, let's start at the very beginning. Um, back when you were first looking at, at the service industry and, and trying to figure out how to, how to get into it, um, what, what were the steps you took and, and what were the results? Well, I grew up in uh, in Montreal, Canada, and then, you know you did the uh, the usual thing. You went to school, and then and then you went to college, and then um, everybody kind of you know hopefully finds themselves or something in there. And I found uh, very very quickly that I did not want to work in any offices or uh, anything like that. And um, where I grew up, it's 18 uh, legally, yeah. <laughs> so so we start quite a bit uh, younger, and then. Um, after I uh, I stopped going to, to college for whatever, um, you know, I, I just always wanted to work in the restaurant industry. It just fascinated me. Uh, this is back in the day where, uh, you know, cooks on TV were actually cooking, not uh, daring you to open a, a can of eel farts and cook on half a flip-flop while jumping on one one foot with a pogo stick or something like that. It's uh, really gotten away from what it was supposed to be. So, uh, this Trying is to get back, those ratings, man. Yeah. Emerald on TV going bam, people making pasta from scratch and really learning stuff. So uh, I kind of went in that route and started um, working in bars and restaurants, went to culinary school and uh, just basically worked myself up from, uh, you know, every single job you could possibly imagine in the industry from, uh, you know, busboy to host, uh, waiter, head server, expediter, dishwasher, uh, bar back, bartender, bar manager to uh, eventually owner. And um, I kind of did all that. And that brought me into uh, a lot of traveling and everything. And uh, back during the World Cup uh, in Japan back in, uh, oh, I'm dating myself here. This is back in 2002. I uh, I kind of went to Japan on a trip and uh, ended up sticking around for about 10 years. So uh right. started in bars and restaurants. And I mean, the food out there was incredible. And then uh, Started doing some stuff in Hong Kong, Singapore, and then finally uh, got back to Canada where I decided uh, it's such a big country. Let me try the other coast. Uh, so I went to Vancouver, and that's where I had my proximity to Seattle. So we used to go to, you know, games all the time, the Seahawks game, and go down, and it was so fun. We were actually at that Thursday night or the uh, beast mode where it set the uh, Guinness oh, yeah? records for the uh, – the loudest uh, that was a that was a fun fun time and that was uh, a crazy game man yeah it was, was man it was i still remember jimmy graham on the other team and then all of a sudden he was playing for seattle after yeah. that yeah so that was a ton of fun and then um uh, it was really a chance meeting i had um in an elevator uh at mandalay bay in vegas with uh celebrity chef rick moonen um being such a huge foodie and everything we're both uh, i did a lot of trips from vancouver to vegas and standing in an elevator and my buddy gives me a little nudge and he goes, uh, say something. So I just kind of turn around and big fan <laughs> introduce myself. And, you know, I didn't think anything. He goes, what are you guys doing? I said, nothing. He goes, why don't you come to my restaurant for dinner tomorrow night? We said, okay. So didn't think anything of it. Next day went to his restaurant and 
we, he came out and we started chatting and then we kept in touch and chatted on the phone. He'd come to Vancouver. I'd go to Vegas. So one day I just got a phone call. Uh, you want to come down to Vegas and run my restaurant? So kind of did that. And then that's where I really got into um, a lot more of the, I, won't, I don't want to say the, the, the finer things, but uh, a lot of things I wasn't exposed to with uh, more expensive stuff, certainly a lot more uh, bourbons and whiskeys than, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to see at my market in um, in Vancouver. I got involved with the United States Bartenders Guild out there and, and just uh, my education just exploded, whether it be on, you know, Armagnac or Mescal or Sotol, uh, you know. Uh, I started doing my sommelier, so learning varietals all over the world and really, really started focusing on um, on the education and how much information was out there. Um, you know, when I first started back in, in Quebec, we had the Boston Bar Guide, you know, a tiny little, what, yeah. four-inch yeah. red, red book? All these things in it, like water I, bitters. What are, what I have like? the 1978 edition of that. So, <laughs> you mean, when you're reading it, you don't know any of this stuff. It was just kind of it's that they're collecting dust whereas Absolutely. you know kids growing nowadays they turn 21 and they have all this knowledge and youtube videos and techniques and it's like this is unfair i, I didn't have that when i was your age so I mean, we, we didn't even have myspace when i was that age there was no <laughs> facebook it was dial-up internet and it's just such a different world right now so um mm -hmm. That's kind of, you know, how, how I really got into it and uh, started working for a brewery out there, making some beer and, and helping out in the tap room, just, uh, you know, just getting more and more knowledge wherever I could. And then it was just uh, a chance meeting that I had with uh, Charlie Garrison and Garrison Brothers. Um, you know, at, at the time, uh, you know, my, my home was redubbed up the whiskey library. I had about 600 bottles of whiskey that I'd collected from all over the planet from, uh, distilleries all over the place one-of-a-kind bottles stuff i bottled myself so i, I was really really into um in, into whiskey uh, uh, of all sorts but it was that first sip of garrison brothers i had that i saw rainbows and unicorns and said what is going on in this bourbon from texas of all, right. all places. and that's Seriously. kind of where the uh, the next chapter of my life really started you know you didn't say anything i just wanted some more no, that's all good. Please. <laughs> it, it's like a song. It takes your breath away. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. So good, man. Awesome. That's fun. Um, that's really fun. I love, I love seeing how the service industry gives people um, a path because I think a lot of people join it without really knowing what they're doing or they get it as a second job or it's never really a destination for a lot of people you know it's a it's a secondary career and so it's really fun to see people make their lives there for me you know, I, I really enjoy um you know the 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 type of person that does that you know it's just uh i don't know it's 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 a unique adventurous uh type that's that's always um they seem to always it, have it, some of the best it was stories. different yeah i mean for sure I, I think you hit the nail on the head when i when i was uh you know first starting and back in the day um yeah it was my main source of employment but uh, you know it was monopoly money it was a paycheck you'd make <laughs> you know hundreds of dollars on one night and you'd spend hundreds of dollars in that very same night at somebody else's bar and it was um it was fun it was a party but uh like anything you get to the the age where you start uh seeing that you your liver might not be able to take it anymore and you you maybe i mean in japan our bar open at five in the evening and close at five in the morning at the earliest sometimes six seven eight i'll tell you what man a 14 15 hour drinking day five days a week <laughs> it has yeah. your total on you so um 
it was a lot different. Uh, I didn't uh, have the opportunity to uh, meet a lot of those career uh, bartenders and legends, uh, whereas today, you know, I feel gifted and humbled that, uh, you know, I, I've got, you know, Tony Abuganum, uh, you know, in my Rolodex that if I have any super questions on, on either cocktail making or, or just career advice that I have some of these these legends that I can uh, lean on. We, we just didn't have that, or at least I didn't have that back in the day. So it was really, um, it's a mind changing and mind altering thing where you could see, you can make a career out of it. And you've seen uh, the explosion of, of craft cocktail bars and, and the, the knowledge that's out there. And, and I mean, I, I talked about the food network uh, a little bit. I, I really think that there would be no Garrison brothers uh, without Emerald on TV going bam. I mean, when you look at it back in the day, that's right when the internet started. And that's when people really wanted to learn more about what they're eating. That transcended into what they're drinking, into the craft beer industry. That's right when the craft beer industry started to grow. And then home brewing started to grow. And then it mm -hmm. translated into wine. And then it translated into spirits. It was all emerald going bam. People wanted to learn more and more. And then you just saw that knowledge and that sharing of knowledge getting out there. Um, yeah we had started or if the food network started with the dribble that's on there right now with uh, all that stuff i mean we'd still be drinking sex on the beaches and grasshoppers and you know these blue hawaiians and these god-awful sweet you know diabetes <laughs> drinks right. and um because it was all just uh, sensationalism nobody wanted to learn what you know what is blue curacao made of well you know <laughs> yeah. Really, it's kind of different. fun. I've actually, I've been, um, where I was reading through uh, Imbibe, if you ever read that book the, by yep. David Wondrich. And I, I mean, just through this show, I've done a lot of cocktail history and, and it's, it's, it's helped to branch me out a lot. And it's been a lot of fun to, to learn. But I've also seen that, that um, our cocktail uh, um, evolution has really, we're right about, we're, we're back around to where we were before prohibition, I think, you know, as a country almost, um, where we're, we're more away from the, like you said, the big, crazy, you know, strong island, you know, the whatever, whatever those are, you know, but you have this culture also probably the more dominant cocktail culture. I, I feel like of people that are looking for the, the good drinks that have honestly, that have been around for a hundred years or more, those, those craft cocktails, the old school things, or, you know, tweaks on that something made in that, in that vein, at least, right. Where, where, people are considering the the flavor profiles of of gin you know and you break that down and find out you know this gin was made with rose petals and you know so then you use rose petals as a garnish or you know some oil in the drink you know to kind of accentuate that and then you um it, yeah i think you're right that those early um chefs anyways that were encouraging us to cook at home and you know showing that you you have the power you know to do all this and create this with your own hands um I, I get that for sure. Those guys, those guys were inspiring all my friends as chefs, but I think watching them learn, I was taking, you know, what I could get from it into my industry too. So, yeah, it, like it. the accessibility to the ingredients. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. if you were to take one of, uh, you know, Jerry Thomas's book and read it and, you know, doing a drink like an old fashioned where it's ice, mm -hmm. bitters, whiskey, <laughs> and a sweetener. So yeah. what do we have behind the bar? Well, we had a package of NutraSweet, yeah. or Sweet and Low. Yeah. Uh, we had probably a, a substandard whiskey. We mm -hmm. had hotel ice that melts and dilutes instantly when it gets in your drink. Yeah. 
So you would read the recipe, do it pervadum, and it would taste horrible because right. you didn't have the right ingredients. I mean, back in the day when they were having that ice, it was a big, solid, frozen mm-hmm. ice that they would yeah. dip and, and it would not melt. And they had, you know, pure cane sugar. And they probably had a wonderful bonded uh, whiskey to work with at the time and bitters. We didn't know what mm-hmm. bitters was back in the, well, at least I didn't in the 90s. Now you you go to Whole Foods or even for that matter, you go to Safeway or Loblaws, you get yeah. all kinds of there's always a bitter so someone could make some sort of uh, cl- uh, g- uh, ginger ale knockoff. But that was pretty much the only thing anyone ever used it for was you put some bitters and some Sprite and add a little Coke and you got some ginger ale. Exactly. hundred percent. So it's really just that knowledge and the explosion and the sharing and, and where do I get these ingredients? And, uh, and, and really that's what turned it all around. Uh, I mean, when you see those, those muddled red maraschino cherries with a whole, you know, orange slice that probably hasn't been rinsed or washed and has a round paraffin wax around it. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it is the ingredients they say in the book, but yeah. it's night and day. Yeah, but you'd be amazed. Yeah, you'd be surprised if you found some quality ingredients and swapped those out. It's fun. I like the, um, this is actually a good lead into the cocktail that we're doing today um, because it is actually, it's, it's a cocktail that was another cocktail and then tweaked, you know. Um, the, the Boulevard EA, um, a lot of people know it. A lot of people have had it. It's, it's essentially, it's a bourbon Negroni. Um, the history of it's kind of fun. It actually comes, we, we actually, um, yeah, it, it's a result of prohibition, uh, that the bourbon Negroni exists or the Boulevard EA. Um, when prohibition hit the country, um, a lot of bartenders, instead of finding other jobs in this country, they went to other countries and, and bartended there. Um, namely New Yorker Harry McElhone. I don't know if that's how you say his name. M-C-E-L-H-O-N-E. Um, he was one of the first bartenders to leave, and he went, where they say, he, he jumped from... Uh, With the Paris, said, didn't he? He ended up in Paris, yeah. He started out in, in London, and then he went to, to France, and finally ended in, in, uh, in Paris. Or he was from Deauville, France, and then to Paris, where he opened his bar, Harry's New York Bar. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, what, you know, the, the, the American bartenders were doing, they were bringing cocktails to the world at this time, too, because cocktails are very much an American thing, right? Um, and, and so he would bring his New York bar to Paris, and, and uh, one of the drinks that they, that they made there was the Boulevardier. Back in 1927, I think is when they have it dated, it was in um, Harry's, Harry's 1927 Bar Guide, Bar Flies and Cocktails. Um, it was a signature drink of Erskine Gwynn. He was a writer, socialite, and nephew of the railroad tycoon Alfred Vanderbilt. Um, and he edited a monthly magazine. Um, it was, they say it was sort of like the New Yorker in Paris, and it was named the Boulevardier. And so they named it the drink after his magazine that he was running back in the 20s. And uh, yeah, I'd love to know what, um, what bourbon he was using, because obviously they would have run out, being that they couldn't yeah. import it from America. So I'm curious if uh, he was doing variations of either cognac or of some uh, Canadian whiskey or um, or even Scotch or Irish. Well, actually, Irish whiskey was in a bit disarray in that time period as well. But uh, I'd be curious. Uh, I can't imagine there was a lot of bourbon during Prohibition, even in France. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it was specifically bourbon. I know he was using whiskey. Um, 
Well, it says bourbon in lieu of gin. So yeah. maybe, maybe, he, maybe he just brought some cases with him and just I'm had sure a, they had some, but yeah, once they ran out, they, uh, they probably couldn't yeah. get any more. <laughs> right? <clears throat> yeah, smaller crowds back then, too, though. Well, that's yeah. it. That's, that's when you got to pivot to a different recipe. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, it's funny, though, because the, the Boulevardier actually hit print before the Negroni did. The, Negr the Negroni didn't, uh, wasn't put in a book for another 20 years, even though the cocktail dates back to 1919, I think it is. Um, so if you, if you were a, a, bar a learned bartender who would get your cocktails out of the cocktail books, like most of us do, uh, you probably would have known about the Boulevardier before you knew about the Negroni back in the 20s and 30s. They're all just, to me, they're, they're just such a great cocktail because it, it, it's simplistic, it's equal parts, whether you're doing it an ounce, an ounce, an ounce, a bottle, a bottle, a bottle, if you're doing it in a big batch or something like that. Um, there's really nowhere to hide behind it, and you could tweak it a little bit. If you want a little bit of extra, you know, bourbon for a hit in there, if you want a little bit of extra bitterness or a little bit of extra sweetness, you can uh, really get whatever you want. Do you want it neat? Do you want it up? I mean, even though it is three ingredients, equal parts, there's just a lot of variations you can get on there. So um, it really is a fun one. I like giving it to um, a lot of people just getting into their cocktails, especially if... Um, you know, they, they haven't worked in a bar and, and they're at home and you tell these people like you, you can make an old fashioned, you can make a Boulevardier, you can make it at home. Don't be intimidated by it. Uh, when you go to, you know, these craft cocktail bars and it, it, you see all these magical potions that are out there, be it they're, they're bitters, they're cheater bottles, they're syrups. Um, you know, don't be intimidated. Get one or two and, and play around with it at home. And um, it really kind of demystifies, um, mm -hmm. you know, what you can get out there. When I when I saw that ad during a football game for that new uh, baller fridge by LG that makes the clear sphere oh, ice yeah. your fridge dome, I'm like, I read yeah, that, we, but I want one of those fridges. <laughs> really, I, I actually was looking that up. Five grand, five grand for one of those fridges. So yeah, possible. You just got, it's just also the price of a, a used Honda. Yeah, and I mean, it's hella cheaper to just go buy them by the dozen at the, the liquor yeah. store or Whole Foods. But or or go get one of those. Uh, get the ice press. You know the the this. The, the copper brass ice presses, I think. Few, some of them are good. Some of them not so much. Um, yeah. If you look at some of the stuff that Camper English has done, uh, he's the foremost authority on directional freezing and can tell you how to make that and the best products to make them out there. Um, there are a lot of stuff, but, I mean, really, you just press a button and get it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's so easy. It's, so, it's too easy. Oh, man, dude, I wonder if they come out crystal clear, too. Or Probably, I mean, it probably just depends on the water quality you've got in there and whatnot. I'll tell you what, I'll look it up after because I'm sure there was some Black Friday people that got them and uh, they've been freezing all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> right. And now that you've had a, a few sips and you've let it kind of get in there, I'd love to hear um, kind of mm -hmm. what you're tasting, what your opinions, if you're getting that. I see you adjusting your shirt. That means you're getting a little Texas hug. That's what we intend. Mm. I mean, right away, it is a bourbon. Uh, every bourbon has to be in brand new charred oak in order to be called bourbon. So right away, any bourbon you see on the shelf, you're going to get vanilla and caramel. So I like to just eliminate those two right off the bat. I'd say vanilla was the first thing I was getting, but it, yeah, if you want to, like you want to cross that off. Wet. It's just what? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah, small that's, back there. that's a combination of uh, all these barrels you see. That's our Rick house or one of our Rick houses right behind me. So as you can see, we're all single story Rick houses. We don't have those uh, six stories that you see at some um, big distilleries out here in Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, 
that small batch is a combination of uh, oh probably 50 or 60 barrels at a time for consistency so that that bottle that you have with you in Seattle and the one I have with me right here in Nashville are going to taste the exact same. And then uh, another one that I can uh, taste but uh, unfortunately not share with you right now is our, our single barrel. So all the bourbon in this came from one of those individual barrels right there in the back. And mm -hmm. we'll put the bottle number, or, sorry, the barrel number right on the side so you know each time you have it, if it's a different barrel, it's going to taste slightly different but still have the same texas bourbon backbone to it so a couple of our flagship products there make it real fun i love it how many years have, have uh, they been making bourbon down there uh legally 10. <laughs> <laughs> so when we first started back in the day uh we first started moonshining and uh you get to the point where we would constantly phone the police on ourselves to uh to the point where they called us instead, stop phoning us. Uh, nothing's going to happen. Um, as you know, if you want to change the law, you can do it one of two ways. You can uh, either have more money than the next person or you bug the shit out of them. So we chose the latter. Uh, obviously, Tito Beverage uh, did a lot to change uh, rules on distilling uh, in the state of Texas. Uh, you know, fortunately for him right now, he's not even making vodka anymore. He's just cashing checks, living the dream. But um, <laughs> We started back in the day moonshining and we were the very first legal bourbon coming out of Texas and uh, we released our first bourbon uh, 10 years ago and uh, haven't looked back. Um, it's been getting, uh, I, I do believe, uh, better and better each year. Um, again, that has a lot to do with uh, the experience that we're gaining and also the fact that we are a sweet mash, so we're learning every single time and every single season that we're out there. Um, it's just different. Uh, it's the Texas terroir. <laughs> Uh, that we have out there. Uh, nobody's reinventing fermentation or distillation. It's just, uh, you know, what happens when you're out there in Texas. Good things are happening in Texas. <clears throat> there, there's a lot of great stuff. Uh, I mean, not only just bourbon and whiskey, but uh, there, there's a phenomenal guy making some Amaro out there. Uh, the beer scene, uh, a, a lot of, um, I mean, you guys being up in the Pacific Northwest with a, an unbelievable um, grape and wine region, we have some phenomenal Texas wines that people, uh, not only in the U.S., but certainly internationally don't know about because uh, I would say 99% of these wineries, they don't export it outside of Texas. So unless you're there, you'd never even know that. And I mean, right now, uh, it, it's such an exciting time for bourbon in America because you're seeing bourbon coming out of every single state. You're seeing phenomenal stuff coming out of the Pacific Northwest uh, Alaska, Hawaii, um, it, it's just the way it is. A lot of people still do believe that you can only make bourbon in Kentucky. Um, that's just a load of horseshit. Yeah, in 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson, he signed a declaration stating that bourbon is America's national spirit. Uh, we were just the first ones, with the exception of a little distillery out there in Virginia, to, to start doing it, um, you know, outside of Kentucky. And now you're seeing it coming out of everywhere. Uh, for the last couple of years, I've even been asking the question, uh, can it be done in territories? And uh, it's been confirmed. You can make bourbon in Puerto Rico if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, well, there's, I remember the bourbon, when the whiskey started coming out of the, out of, uh, in Washington, it was, gosh, it was probably back in around 2002. <laughs> or back, I think it was right around the time Marshawn Lynch was having that beast mode run, because it was, it was, <laughs> We were getting bottles from some of the local places and a lot of, quite a few of them aren't around anymore um, for good reason because there wasn't great stuff coming out of it's it's hard to make i think bourbon in um in a colder climate you know we're it, it takes time 
and, and yeah. I mean, it takes time. I, I, I'm not going to brag about the, uh, the the bourbon and the whiskey that we released uh, initially. I mean, it, it'll get you drunk. Um, <laughs> it was real hot, um, you know, and we figured it out. And uh, it took a lot of money and a lot of patience and a ton of mistakes for us mm. to figure it out. And, and we're still figuring it out. We still don't know everything about everything, but you know, we, we did a lot of changes and learned a lot of lessons on the way. As much as help as we had from our friends out there in Kentucky, from Elmer T. Lee, uh, who was over at Buffalo Trace, uh, the late, great Dave Pickerel, who was Maker's Mark at the time, Jimmy and Eddie Russell, uh, any of these guys, uh, they would give us all the knowledge and all the help. But every time there was a screw-up and we'd call them up, the answer would always be the same. Don't know. That's never happened in Kentucky. Uh, when we first started, we first started with the, the 53 gallon barrels that you would see, um, you know, all over uh, Jack Daniels and all over Four Roses and Jim Beam. So we started using those same barrels. We filled those barrels up. We threw them into our rick house. We locked uh, locked it up, threw away the key because we knew we were a bunch of raging alcoholics. And we go in there and start nipping on it. And uh, after six months, we rolled into that rick house, and every single barrel was bone dry empty. So Charlie Garrison, the younger brother, he sat down on the dirt ground that you can see right there and got a bit, bottle of Maker's Mark and, um, you know, started crying himself like a little baby. He just lost $3.2 million. Now, in um, in Texas, when you owe somebody money, they, they don't take your uh, your house and they don't take your car. They they take your wife and they take your dog. So it's a little bit of a different situation out oh. there. And Dan kind of looked at this as a puzzle and he thought, well, why did this happen? You know, they, they get super, super hot out there in California. How do their wine barrels manage? So what we discovered was just our temperature and the Texas terroir that we have out there. So when you fill one of those barrels, you get a little empty. You get what's called the devil's cut. Uh, I don't care how pretty my lacunas is and uh, what they say at Jim Beam, you never get that back. You fill it in, it soaks into the wood, it's in there forever. That creates a little vapor pocket inside your barrel. As it gets warmer, that vapor pocket expands, forcing the distillate into the wood. As it gets cooler, it contracts. Well, what had happened is they never get to be 120 degrees out there in Tennessee and Kentucky. That vapor pocket got so big, the staves split. We lost absolutely everything. So... We like to say that the barrels exploded. I mean, I'm not talking the Death Star and Star Wars here, but uh, they yeah. certainly split. We lost absolutely everything. So There was combustion and, and great yeah. loss. <laughs> so we had to use the force and we had to uh, find some uh, some barrels they could withstand. So um, you can see a little bit out there. We used 15, 25, and 30-gallon barrels. They're uh, a little bit thicker, a little bit uh, tighter, and they can withstand that diurnal shift that we have in temperature out there. So, again, like I'm saying, it's it's not better, it's not worse, it's just different than what's going learning on. Learning the climate. Learn, learning yeah. how to work in the climate you're in, right? Exactly. I mean, uh, but when you're doing it up there, I know it's absolutely beautiful in the Pacific Northwest for three months of the year. The rest of the time, it's cold and it's miserable. So, why yeah. would you try to make, I mean, you could certainly make a fantastic bourbon. But why would you try to make a bourbon like Kentucky? I would yeah. try to make a bourbon more like Ireland, more right. to taste like Irish whiskey, because that's mm -hmm. a similar climate to you guys. Exactly. So uh, it would be like, uh, you know, the winemakers in Texas trying to make a California cab. Why? Mm -hmm. 
you're in a completely different yeah. <laughs> yeah, focus on where you are and make the best thing that you're that you can make where you're at and so instead of trying to make the best thing where someone else is exactly we're not making kentucky bourbon we're making texas bourbon we're aged minimum four years people are asking us you know you've been at it for 10 years now when's your 10 year old bourbon going to come out never there'd be nothing left in our barrels after 10 years we can't do it it's yeah. just different it's not better it's not worse it's just different and mm -hmm. i mean that that's why it's such a great thing uh, with all the help that we got from uh elmer t lee who was a buffalo trace um i well, mean Sorry? Didn't he just pass away a few years ago? Uh, he passed away uh, early 2000s, I want to say. Uh, Dave Pickerel just passed away a few years ago, actually right about mid-November a few years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, Elmer's got a, great, got a great bourbon. Though. I love that Elmer T. Lee. That's a good stuff. I mean, <laughs> Elmer had done everything there was to do at Buffalo Trace. He had done the Wellers, the Pappies, you know, everything uh, that you could possibly imagine. Um, he was bored. He had been studying aquifers throughout America, and he was wondering, you know, why is America so many generations behind Scotland? Scotland is such a tiny little country with so many different varietals of whiskey. Why don't we have that going on in America? So when he first met Dan and met this guy that was on a different aquifer in the U.S., a completely different terroir, <laughs> You're just, he started taking him him because he just wanted to see what would happen i mean if we were to go to you know garrison brothers we're in high texas we're just an hour west of austin we're out there in hill country beautiful part of uh, texas if you were to take a, a dart throw it at the state map of texas and hit a bullseye that's where we are right there in the middle but if we were to go out there tomorrow fill four barrels send one out to you guys or westland up in washington state send one to buffalo trace then to, uh, let's say whistle pig out there in vermont and leave one in uh at our distillery if we brought them all back on the exact same day they would all taste drastically different so that's why it is so exciting it's not just what we're doing ourselves is we're only doing about 30 percent of the flavor so after we're mashing in after we're doing our open fermentation after we're distilling it and we've got our white dog that's out there that's about you know 135 137 proof off the still we fill the barrels in 124. We've done about 30% of the work. That's all we can do. It goes in there, mother nature takes care of the rest as it sits there in the rickhouse for four years. And that's where all your color mm -hmm. and the majority of your flavor is coming from. After right. four years, we take it out. We proof her down to 94 for the small batch anyway. We got a few different uh, bourbons we can talk about, but. We prove it down to 94 with that Texas rainwater that we collect off our Rick House rooftop. We put it in the bottle. We wax each bottle. We brand it with the little Texas stamp, a uh, little Lone Star on yeah, there. Star we every bottle out there, and we, we send them out into the world, and we hope that people enjoy them. But <laughs> uh, it really is Mother Nature that's responsible uh, for, well, 100% of the color and uh, the majority of the flavor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I always try to tell people if, if – uh... If the color doesn't come from the wood, don't drink it. <laughs> then it's artificial coloring, and, and you're, that, that's, that's what leads to your hangover tomorrow. <clears throat> and you can do that in, uh, in Irish whiskey and, and scotch. Um, if you get a, a barrel and you dump it, and it's super pale. You can add all the caramel coloring you want into that, and that's allowed. Uh, up north in Canada, they can add all the flavoring and coloring mm -hmm. they want, and that's allowed. Bourbon is the most regulated spirit in the world. 
more regulated than cognac, uh, than tequila, than Armagnac. I don't even think vodka has regulations. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we're super proud of what yeah. we're doing. We're following bourbon law. Uh, if we divert 1% from that bourbon law, we're a whiskey. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll probably still be a damn fine whiskey, but, you know, every bourbon is a whiskey. Not every whiskey the bottle is a bourbon. says bourbon on it. You don't want to have to buy a new bottle that says whiskey on it, right? No. And if it says straight bourbon, you know it's at least two years old as well. That's another fun little thing. You can look at all your balls. If it just says bourbon, not straight bourbon, you know it's under two years. Mm. That's good to know. That's a good tip for the for the kids. I like that. All yeah, we little... need from the age statement. Um, I think a lot of people are doing that um, globally, uh, not just in bourbon, because um, it really is irrelevant unless you're comparing it to somebody else in the same. Say it with me. Terroir. Terroir. <laughs> I mean, four years in Texas is different than four years in Kentucky is different than four years in Japan, in Scotland, mm-hmm. in Ireland. Um, we get a lot of flack from, uh, you know, some hardcore Kentucky bourbon drinkers and being like, sure. oh, that's four years. That's not a 12 year. And I'm like, well, why aren't you getting flack from the people that drink Macallan 25 talking about year 10? It's a completely different climate. It's a completely right. different you're talking apples and oranges. It's yeah. just not the same ball game at all. So, you know, enjoy what's in the bottle. If you're only going to read it because um, you like the cover, then, you know, you already know what kind of person that is. Don't judge a right. book by the cover. Like it. And if you don't yeah. like it, I'm not going to be offended. The Spice Girls sold 50 million albums. I did not buy one. Enjoy. <laughs> enjoy. I don't think I did either. <clears throat> not even as a gift. <laughs> Let's go to bar stories a little bit. Sure. So we're working over the years. So you were you were an owner of a, of a bar too, yeah? I was. Biggest mistake I've ever done in my life. But I'll tell you <laughs> what, the, the amount that I learned from it, uh, not only about the business itself, but but about myself as a person. <laughs> um, I got into it with a big, big head. I was the cockiest person. Um, I did a lot of things that, uh, that I'm not proud of. And I look at myself and uh, I was a mean asshole that thought he knew everything. So... Uh, how old were you when yeah. you opened your first bar? Uh, I would have been, I want to say 26, 26, 27. Uh, I, I was part owner. I wasn't sole owner, but um, yeah. part owner with some silent partners and uh, 50, 60% operator. And mm-hmm. uh, wow, did I learn a, a lot of things about myself. Uh, you know, I always thought it was my way or the highway and I knew best and uh, I just didn't know how to listen and I didn't know how to shut up. And uh it was a great, great learning experience, and uh, I, I'm very, very fortunate that I got out with uh, with everything I put in financially. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't lose my shirt or anything. But uh, man, did I learn a lot! And that's kind of really um, when I kind of dedicated myself to, to to education and patience and 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 just basically learning and uh, humility. Really, I like that, man. That's really great. It's uh, it's it's good. It's good to um to get. All the way to the worst part of yourself and and then uh have the have the wherewithal to to turn around and come back a little bit <laughs> there, there was a lot of drinking involved too trust me <laughs> hey i mean there always is right <laughs> i just i was just thinking back to when i was 27 and if i owned a bar how that would have gone I, I i don't i probably wouldn't have come back with anything <laughs> one of the best things um about my job right now is i i get to pay it forward um you know, one of the best parts about my job is if I'm not at the distillery, I get to travel around the country and not only speak to 
bourbon enthusiasts or introduce people to to Garris Umbrellas for the the very first time. But I get to speak to to bartenders all over and share a little bit of my knowledge, share a little bit about my experiences, and um, you know, offer uh, what little advice I can. Not that uh, you know I'm the most knowledgeable guy out there, but uh, to be able to pay it forward, I just didn't have uh, anybody like that when, when when I was growing up. It was uh, you know quick fire, learn on the job, you're thrown to the sharks. Uh, I don't know how to make this. Well, I'm three deep, figure it out and uh, mm-hmm. get all out there. So to, um, you know, let people know. And I get, I get folks all the time ask, you know, well, well, how did you, you know, land your job and how did you get this job? And again, it was nothing I applied for. I see people um, start working for, for other brands and, and they're just not into it. And I mean, that would be like owning your restaurant, somebody going up, uh, you know, how's the food? And you're like, oh, it's all right. You're not 100% into it. You know, why are you doing it for a paycheck? That's what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, I don't want to say a bartender in between jobs, but unfortunately there, there are people that are just there for the paycheck, yeah. but you know, we've all had that server, man. They're definitely out there. Yeah. Live it. Um, like I said, um, it, it was a chance meeting that, uh, that we had uh, Garrison brothers and I, like I said, I had about 600 bottles of, of of whiskey uh, not just bourbon but whiskey on the wall at home and and charlie garrison the younger brother he came into vegas and he did a tasting for uh for the entire uh bartenders guild out there and i tried it for the first time i saw rainbows and unicorns and i was like what is going on in this and everything he said about the the distillation process and the aging and then the proofing and sour mash and every ball is hand dipped i just sat in the back like this is marketing bullshit there is no way you're getting a 14 percent abv in your distiller's beer before you distill it there's no way your barrels exploded like everything so you know i spoke to him afterwards and he said come out to the distillery and you know you can wax these bottles we do shots of bourbon every 30 minutes it turns into a party so i got on the, the next flight i went out there and uh you know I, I got to meet the entire team out there at the distillery uh donna's taught our master distiller uh Sammy Olvera, who's, uh, we believe, well, the first uh, female Mexican-American distiller in Texas, maybe in the country, uh, a oh. badass that could also probably outdrink every one of us at the distillery, and uh, just got to see that, you know, I've lived in apartments that were bigger than our still house. Um, I couldn't believe how hands-on and how handcrafted it was. There is one computer out there, and that's to play Spotify for our volunteers while they're dipping these bottles in crock pots of hot wax it literally is as hands-on as you can get. So I kind of went back to Vegas and uh, I told all my friends and bartenders uh, about this and we got about 14 of us. We went back to the distillery a couple months later and we took over the entire bottling line and we turned it into a party. We call it quality control. There's shots of bourbon every 30 minutes. We should do another one now. Cheers. We dip all the balls in wax. We, we put the star on there. Um, the second evening, we invited the entire distillery back to our uh, little Airbnb. Well, little, it was massive Airbnb that we're staying at. We had a, a barbecue. We had a cocktail competition. And uh, I basically just handed, uh, if I can grab one here. Yeah, yeah. We have all uh, bartender challenge coins that, wow, I've collected a lot. But, you know, you get all these challenge coins. I think here's my national water that you get from you know, all over when you're doing, uh, here's a Garrison Brothers one, when you're doing certain events and staying in touch with folks and stuff like that, uh, 
here's one I got from from even Omaha even. So um, you know, I, I took out my Vegas one, I handed it to Dan Garrison, and I just challenged him to just keep making better and better bourbon. And um, you know, he just said, I don't know what's going on right now, but but you need to work for me. And I don't know doing what, but we're gonna figure this out. And um, you know, a few months later, we figured it out, and we're together. And uh, it was just kind of fell into it, right place, right time. And a lot of people say lucky, and you know, it's kind of the old adage there that it's when uh, you know opportunity meets preparedness. It was just all that knowledge that I had gotten on not just uh, bourbon, but spirits in general, and beer, and the the love of travel, and being out there, and being behind the bar, knowing how to talk to people, and everything. It was just right place, right time. I wasn't. I was working for the number one brewery in Vegas. I wasn't looking for a job. Mm-hmm. They didn't know they wanted somebody like me either. It just happened. <laughs> so it, a lot. Of, a lot of times, you you just you just have to have the the willingness to say yes to to an opportunity, right? Hundred percent. Like, it sounds like what you did, man. Like you you saw an opportunity and, and you seized it. It was, you know, that it's 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 hard to plan those kinds of things, but it's also people don't mention about the other side. It's hard to say yes for a lot of people too, you know. And you, so you had the you have the ability to, to just move forward and, 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 and make something out of it, which is pretty awesome. I mean, that's the advice that I give to some of the younger bartenders when they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm thinking about applying for this job, or I've just been offered a, a beverage director position at a five-star hotel. I've bitten off more than I could chew. Take it till you make it. Yeah, you can do it. work on the job while you're there. Don't say no, because by the yeah, time you think you're ready, that job's going to be gone. Yeah, all, all the resources are on the internet. Like, go to Google. If you don't know the answer to a question, hit Google. Come to the USBG, you know, find, go to the open forum and, and ask yep. a question. There's thousands 100%. of bartenders that are going to give you great answers, you know. <laughs> yeah, with the amount of networking, and that's the other thing that we didn't have. I mean, the, the networking that's available to us uh, mm-hmm. nowadays, it, it's incredible. I mean, I, I've seen people, you know, they're, they're sharing spreadsheets on cost analysis and margins and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. I did this with, with, a pencil and a ledger. You you got yeah. you got spreadsheet. <laughs> Next level shit, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fun because I mean, like, how many? I mean, how many people that are that are out there running the bars like don't have an idea on that? You know, don't know. What, I, I mean, as a guy raised in a bar, I wouldn't know the first thing to do with a, stre- a spreadsheet. But then you know, somebody has it formed up and, and and set out, and I can just go and 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 move right into it. You know, it's a lot easier. I don't have to formulate it myself. So. That's, yeah, that's, rule number one, know what you don't know and surround yourself with people who can fill in the void. 100%. That's why that's why Kelly's here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the I, I like to talk to people, I like to be social, and then we have drinks and then Kelly makes sure that it all sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not driving anywhere tonight. Me neither. I just gotta cook food. Yeah, I'm off to Memphis tomorrow. I do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, actually our bartender hideaway program. So I'd love to share that with uh, your listeners and all the bartenders. I already shared it with the uh, the USBG Seattle, but it was basically um, after I'd started working with, uh, with Garrison Brothers, Dan approached me and he said, um, you know, that time you brought all those bartenders from Vegas, um, He's still like, that was the highlight of my year. That was the most fun we've ever had. We didn't know what was going on. You guys were out there volunteering your time working for us. He goes, at first I was really confused because I thought they were all your friends, but, but you guys were so mean to each other. And I said, well, that's how you know they're all my best friends. That's how you know we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he, 
he said, you know, is there any way that we can recreate that and, and do that for, for other bartenders around the country? So I kind of hoed and hummed about it. And uh, we came up with uh, what we call our bartender hideaway. And uh, basically, uh, we do them about once a month. All these bar, and it's open to anybody in the industry. You know, it's just bartender hideaway has a nice ring, but front of the house, back of the house, you know, industry. Sure. Um, People that are interested in whiskey. Yeah. And um, so all they have to do is when I have these dates is uh, get out to Austin. We pick them up at the airport and we take care of the rest. We put them up in uh, phenomenal accommodations just around the corner from the distillery. We feed you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We go into the distillery. We cook mash. We fill barrels. We wax bottles. We do shots every 30 minutes. We have a cocktail competition. Um, you get to meet everybody, do everything. And, uh, you know, at the end of three days, not only do you leave with a, a ton of knowledge on making bourbon, but you leave with 13, 14 new best friends. And that's what we yeah. really get out of it when, when we're sitting there over the course of a couple of days where it's, uh, I want to go do a pop-up at your bar in uh, San Francisco, or I want to go do a pop-up at your bar in Hartford, Connecticut, you know, wherever it might be. It, it, it's so fun to, these connections that we're making with bartenders across the country that have never met each other before and um, you know when it's you know three or four o'clock in the morning wherever I happen to be and I, I get a text and it's two of these bartenders arm in arm from a random bar hey Shane how's it going and I'm like yeah why can't you FaceTime me in the morning asshole <laughs> so, so it's it's a lot of fun to see those connections getting made and uh, and lifelong friends and I mean that that's really what uh, what bourbon and what whiskey should should be about um, you know there's the the, the old adage, you know, breaking bread, you know, that's what bourbon is. Bourbon's the same ingredient as bread. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. make it to, you know, create legendary stories to, to build faith in, in, in mankind and, uh, you know, just to have fun out there. We believe good bourbon for a good cause. We believe good bourbon is going to change the world. So to, uh, you know, be able to, to, you know, get out there and then help these people meet each other and uh, create long lasting friendships. Uh, you know, that, that's, probably one of the best parts of my job it really is that's really awesome man i i i love the idea of that i love that you guys are doing it and how do, how would um so if somebody wanted to be a part of that what would they do yeah they can uh, easily reach me uh anywhere i'm the uh, the bourbon provocateur on uh, instagram uh shane merriam on facebook or you can just email me shane s-h-a-n-e at garrisonbros.com and uh, yeah, just get in touch with me, shoot me an email and I'll put you on the list and uh, you don't have to have that fear of missing out. If, uh, if you can't make it in February, cause uh, you know, you, you need to pay rent or you can't make it in March cause it's your partner's, uh, you know, birthday or anniversary. Don't worry about it. We do them about once a month. So we love to get you out there. We've had, you know, entire groups from one city come out. We've had 14 individuals from 14 corners of the country come out and each time it's a little bit different. So, um, it's always a lot of fun, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you, you get your very own bottle of bourbon, you get a t-shirt, you get, uh, or if I have it, you get one of our bartender hideaway challenge coins right there. That's, uh, nice. that's and our steer that we have out there. If you, if you look up Ferdinand steer on, uh, on uh, Google there, it's, uh, this coin is, is gorgeous, full of colors and everything like that. So, um, yeah, it really is fun. And the only thing you're responsible for is, uh, your transportation out there some people they drive i've got uh, i got a bartender driving in from uh, oklahoma city uh, on monday hey. yeah so just found really you on instagram fun. i see <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a a fun question at you it's my it's one of my favorites um in, in the in the just in this world and especially man you're, you're traveling the world you've got you've got probably you're probably exposed to 
a bit of stress in your life. Um, you know, hopefully you, that's the only thing I'm exposed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the not the other things. Um, <laughs> you know, for what we have control over. Cheers. Um, as far as stress goes, what what are some of the things you do for your for your own self care and, and and all this travel and busting around and 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 the busyness of everything? Where do you find where do you find peace in all of it? Um, you know, it, it's funny. I I was on the road uh when when in the middle of this from July until a couple weeks ago, um, living in hotels. I kind of did the uh, the Dave Pickerel model where I put everything I owned in storage and I lived out of two uh, suitcases and went around. So um, I really didn't have time to even think or, or decompress or, or anything. And, and I really didn't mind. It was just so exciting to be able to get out there and, and help wherever I could. I was um, incredibly lucky to uh, not only uh, still be employed, but uh, to be able to get out there and, and do what I love when I look at you know, what's happened to so many friends with uh, either, you know, at best, uh, the future of their bar or restaurant is unknown, you know, and, and at worst, they've, they've closed down, they've lost their, their employment, they've lost their bar family, um, they don't know what the next step is. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not even thinking about myself in any way, shape or form to be able to get out there and, um, you know, help wherever we can. When I was up there in Seattle, it was, um, you know, such an unfortunate time with everything going back and them closing uh, in-room dining. And, um, you know, I know I'm not changing any lives or anything, but to be able to, you know, get a couple uh, bourbon and burritos to some bartenders out there and, you know, say that, you know, if you need anything, reach out. Uh, the worst answer you're ever going to hear from me is, I'm sorry, I can't afford it. And I, I think that's a pretty good worst answer you're ever going to get from me that, you know, I'll figure it out if I can do it. Um, but uh, it, it's really just it's staying with that network. Um, you know, the, some people, like you said, they're they're not behind the bar, so they're out of character. So if they're already super shy and, and getting out there and, and hibernating, you know, they've already watched Netflix. They're waiting for Netflix 2.0 because there's nothing. All of Netflix. Um, <laughs> we finished Netflix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back in August. We finished Netflix in August, man. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, everybody's different, but, uh, you know, for, for me to be able to get out on uh, social media or talk to people, plan ahead on, on where I can go next or what city I can go next and who needs what and, and just, you know, take care. Um, you know, I, I love seeing all the, the messages that, that people wrote, uh, especially in the bar, um, forums and everything on Thanksgiving for mental health. And if you need anything, but, I'm like, why is Thanksgiving Day different than any other day? I mean, mm -hmm. this should be an everyday thing that if you need something, reach out, call a friend. Uh, mm -hmm. If it's just to have a virtual coffee together or virtual cheers, um, USBG Tucson, for example, uh, they do a happy hour together every Friday. It's incredible just to have that sense of normality where they all get together on a Zoom call and, and they might discuss who made the best ramen topping you know that week on their their 39 cent noodles i mean it's sure. just to get out there and have a little sense of normalcy so um keeping some sort of social know, interaction in our lives with people who are used to interacting with a couple hundred people a day <laughs> exactly you know i'm not doing any uh health regimen I, I had my quarantine 15 i'm probably up to a quarantine 20 25 right now but Man, uh, tell me about it <laughs> I, i've always been telling myself that i don't need to diet until i need to buy new pants and I haven't had my pants yet. So. Mm -hmm. I was on the verge of that. Someone was giving me shit the other day for, for not having another shot. And I was like, 
I'm trying not to drink as much right now because my clothes are getting smaller. <laughs> like I need, I need, I don't want to buy another size of clothes. Yeah. So I just need to like sacrifice for like two weeks or a month. Yeah, whatever. but I mean, everybody's different. Some people are, are you know, into yoga or Pilates. Uh, some people are, you know, what, what is that? That Peloton thing. Thank God that mm-hmm. ad. Did you see the ad that Ryan Reynolds did to follow up with uh, Aviation Gin? That was awesome. That, yeah, uh, Ryan Reynolds was on the spot with that. Like, he, he got the same actress. <laughs> yeah. So that, like that two was days great. After the, two days after the ad came out, I think they had that, that aviation commercial. It was, it was so pretty on, on point. So good. So, uh, you know, it, it's different for everybody. But, uh, I mean, certainly for people, I think they, they need to know that they're, they're not alone, that there's other people out there. But at the same time, you know, I can't go around ringing doorbells. You know, I'm not Santa Claus, mm-hmm. but if you ring my doorbell, I'll certainly answer. Uh, and I'll certainly answer the phone and talk to you and everything like that. So, you know, there, there's people out there that, that do care and all your friends do, and they might not know you're, you're in a rough spot. Or, uh, I, I've got another friend, you know, she, she lost her apartment. Um, she, lost, she lost her job. She lost her apartment. She won't even accept 10 bucks from me to go buy herself a beer. Mm. <laughs> She's that stubborn. I'm like, yeah. this isn't charity. This is go get a beer and let's have a beer virtually and, and talk. Like, like, right. like if, if you were employed making a hundred thousand dollars a year, you'd let me buy you a beer. And now that you need it, you won't. I don't understand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know how how the how pride takes over in those situations too, right? Yeah. She's like, I can do it. I'm like, nobody's saying you can't. Yeah. No, it's not a question of doubt it's a friend it's a friend reaching out to a friend <laughs> so yeah i mean uh, I, I don't have an answer but uh everybody's different and, and whatever they need uh I'm, I'm perfectly happy uh you know being alone and i'm perfectly happy being in a room of 500 people holding court um i will say when i finally did uh, i'm still as you can see it's not quite unpacked i've, I've unloaded the boxes but i haven't unpacked but uh man i had two days on my couch where i was like Oh, this is what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> you just take a minute, man. I, I gotta tell you, it sounds to me a little bit like your your self care is 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 a little bit um, in service to others, and just and just uh, you know, you're 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 a giver. It seems like. Yeah, it's it's just if I'm in the position, like I said, to help pay it forward. Um, for it back in March when you know it was a hardcore lockdown and nobody knew what was going on and. You know, you, you could find bars of gold on the street, but no toilet paper. I mean, it was uh, it was an interesting time. But, um, you know, it was like I said to Dan, like, I need to do something, whether it be come back to the distillery and bottle or, you know, I need I can't just sit here. And they were just sit tight. And, and it got to the point where I just started feeling like an asshole, like I, I'm being <laughs> totally. let go and not able to pay, you know, rent and, and food and whether they could even pay their phone bill so I can even hit them up on Facebook or internet, you know, next month. Um, so to be able to get out there, um, what we did out of the distillery is um, we are a bourbon distillery. All we make is bourbon. We don't make anything else, but when this happened, we started making something else, hand sanitizer. Nice. And so when we finally got some of our washer dam hand sanitizer and able to get out there and, and share it with people and get out there, it was such a great feeling. Uh, Larry is one of our, our main, um, quote unquote retired guys that gets mm-hmm. out there and uh he was he was writing emails to everybody saying I feel like Santa Claus. I got these big <laughs> five gallon jugs of sanitizer and I'm going to the post office, I'm going yeah. to the grocery store, I'm going to the sheriff's department, I'm going to the to the, the schools and I'm 
giving them sanitizer and they're cheering and doing all this and you know to see that what first responders were doing and i'm just sitting in my room drinking all my whiskey getting fatter i, I felt like a dick <laughs> so yeah. i had to go out there and do something i got i gotta say one of our uh one of our sponsors did that locally uh scratch distillery make it out in Edmonds, if you know those guys but they uh they support the show and we love them and that was one of that was one of their that they were quick on the response there too that's actually the washington distillers guild um uh a group of distillers got together and uh and started making uh, hand sanitizer for and so uh, i love that I, I love watching people react like as, as 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 focused as we can get on the shit that's going wrong um what's that old i think it was mr rogers that said his, his you know when everything was going wrong and he got frustrated his mom always told him to look at the helpers look at the people that were that were out they weren't out there trying you know doing they were out there just trying to help just doing what they could to adapt to the situation and to make the world a better place and and um man shout out to the helpers i i, I love that I, I i love i love what you guys have done uh i mean just just reacting in a way just having some sort of reaction and then thinking like oh we can help that's that's beautiful <laughs> it's, and, and it's not just even you know i love being able to help others but right now a lot of it is is how can you help yourself mm -hmm. and help your 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 local community i mean it's it's again this is why we turn the word pivot into a drinking game at the distillery I mean, you guys, um, you know, in the bar industry and restaurant industry got forced to go mm -hmm. backwards again. And so how can you, I'm not going to use it, but how can you change? How can you adapt? How can you get focused and, and, and keep your, your guests? Uh, obviously, you're not going to have the same income, but some people, whether it be the, the to-go cocktails or whether it be selling at-home virtual packages and, and cook-alongs and, and, and different things, I mean, you have to be able to adjust and then you also have to be ready when things start to get better to hit the ground running and not wait for it. Okay. We could open tomorrow. Like, yeah. Well, do you have anything prepared? Can you do a pop tonight? Like, cause you can't get fresh. Like you have to be ready and get on there. If you're waiting for somebody else to fix your problems and fix your business, I think you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And as much as we want to help, we can't do everything for you. You still got to, you know, take control and get ready. So that's one uh, thing I noticed at, at, um, I'm in two bars and, 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 uh, that I found that like uh, uncleanliness is no longer something you can skirt by on, you know, yeah. that's, that's absolutely everything is spotless. And if you're not a clean chef or bartender, like you need to learn how to be clean because that is no longer going to be acceptable in society. I feel, you know, no, people don't want to see smudges on the floor and, and dirty counters crumbs everywhere. No, there's there's so many. Um, yeah, uh, Nickel City is a great example out in Austin, Texas. What they've done to not only reinvent themselves but keep the doors open and keep themselves. Um, James Trees and Esther's Kitchen uh, in Las Vegas, uh, one of my favorite restaurants on the planet. A another prime example of, of how to how to pivot and and just make things better. Um, <laughs> pivot. He was one of the first ones that came out and said, "Why are you using Uber Eats?" Why don't you hire your dishwasher and your bar back to be your own drivers and yeah. keep family and keep them employed and keep like, why aren't you doing this? He started doing um, things like blue apron where people would come in and pick up the, the to go meal kit and they would do it together virtually. And it, yeah. it was incredible. Um, I got to be a guest on one of his things. And, you know, I tried to share that with so many other chefs and said, mm -hmm. all you're doing is, is meal prep 
and, and, and you have zero overhead. You know, yeah. hey, I want to want to give a local shout out to my boss Tom Douglas, <laughs> as uh, he has uh, he has made a pivot uh, to um, to play this game. <laughs> I got you, man. I got you. I'm gonna come back at you. Uh, but he's been um, he has a, a a cooking school called the Hot Stove Society, and and so he's been doing virtual classes where they send out um, all the ingredients, and he does, and so you can tune in online. You get all the ingredients in the mail, or you go pick them up. Um, and then you cook alongside Tom Douglas. He teaches you how to make a salmon dinner or this or that, you know, along with the blue, like blue apron mindset, but you have, you know, a, a, an iron chef winning, you know, you have, you have freaking Tom Douglas telling you how to cook it. Yeah. It, it was phenomenal. It's like they even learned after the first couple that they did, uh, by suggestions on how do we improve. And mm -hmm. somebody said, instead of us ordering one bottle of wine, we order two mm -hmm. and then we watch you live with the one bottle of wine. And then after the cooking demo, we go back and do it at our own pace. So we mm. can pause whatever. And I was like, that's even more fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that. All right. Uh, let's get into the, the teachable moments. Certainly um, read books. Um, I love I, that. Read books. Yes, read books. I, I'm guilty of it where, you know, I'll go out and I'll meet, you know, some of my idols, uh, you know, Dale DeGroff or, uh, you know, David Kaplan from Death and Co. And I'll go to a lot of these uh, famous bars and book signings and I'll get the book and I'll have it signed. It's on my bookshelf. I haven't opened it. <laughs> I'm not learning. <laughs> you need to read it's it. It's just a trophy. <laughs> uh, so that's certainly it. Um, one, one that I'll say, it, it's, um, I, I think this goes, and, and I used to say this a lot to, um, to my own staff when I was working back behind the bar. And um, it, again, it was, it was a teachable moment and it came from, um, well, it stemmed when I first started seeing it firsthand from Yelp reviews and stuff like that. Again, uh, burn Yelp. They should, they should all go to hell. Cheers. Uh, I'll but, that. Um, it was, um, it, and I started discovering it really firsthand, uh, traveling so much, being on the road so much, and dining uh, by myself and later at establishments. Now, I understand if, if you close at 11 o'clock, and I get in there at 10.55 that there might be issues. But if you close at 11 o'clock and I go to the bar and sit by myself as a solo diner at 10 o'clock and you basically take my order and you don't spend any time communicating or verbally or giving me any uh, experience because you're breaking mm -hmm. down the well, because you're, you're you know burning the ice, you're putting away the juices, you're wrapping everything up. Uh, am I not paying full price? Am I not paying the exact same price as the person at, at eight o'clock that got a hundred percent of your attention? If, if I'm going to be paying a hundred percent of the price, I should be getting a hundred percent of the experience and a hundred percent of the hospitality. And and I've gone in at some uh, you know places that I've I've looked forward to going for for you know three four months to Mission Star restaurants or famous celebrity chefs, and I just sit down and I leave pissed off. Like yeah. I didn't even get the, the specials read. I didn't even say, oh, how is everything? Because you're too busy wrapping your juices and, and trying to get out of that. And I'm like, I, I'm paying 100%. I'm still going to be leaving you, you know, 20% or more. Why, why am I only getting 30% of the experience? And I always share that with my team. I said, if they're paying 100%, you know, they should be getting 100% of your attention. And um, 
I, I weighed in and, and, and on, online, and I had a lot of people saying, like, nobody should be doing their closing duties ahead of time. And, hey, I'll admit it. I'm the first one that did that when I was a bartender. Oh, man, I'm going to start closing in the last hour. But at the same time, you, you got to treat your customers like customers. Like, you're still on the clock, right? Yeah, I, I've gone so, out of place that, you know, five-star restaurants, a Michelin star, two Michelin star. And I'm like, I have zero intentions to ever want to go back there. And it was a bad experience. And frankly, mm -hmm. you know, if you're not going to have a good time, the food's going to taste even worse. Whether the food was poorly prepared or not, and it may have been because maybe they're closing the kitchen. I don't know. But, you know, you got to take care of that guest. Uh, but that's the thing is, it, is a big part of the food and the way it tastes is is the ambiance and the way and the way you feel like it's the your emotional state you know if you if you're happy and content and you feel taken care of food tastes better you know it doesn't it doesn't matter what they did to it it tastes better because you're in a happier state of mind uh, you know and so then you lean on your cooks and hope that they do stuff but yeah I, yeah i i like that man i agree with that that's uh that's uh, that's a good uh that's a good teachable moment. It, 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 You're it, on the it, clock until you punch out. Yeah, and I get it. Like I said, if you close at 11 and I'm there at 10.55, I get it. But if I'm there sure. an hour, an hour and a half before, mm -hmm. yeah. It, it, yeah, no, it, if, you're, if you're in the last, like the five minutes before, that's always a sensitive subject anyways, I feel like. You know, everybody's, <sighs> I, I've got my own standards that I've, that I've, been an asshole about in the past or this or that you know but at the same time that you're still on the clock you're on the clock as long as you're on the clock and as long as your boss is paying you you're representing the restaurant and so you know and until you're off the clock if, if it bugs you go in the back you go on the walk-in you know you, you say fuck that guy and then you come back out with a smile on your face you know and you, you give it your best and that's the whole part of stepping into the bartender character too it's not you it's not you, it's the bartender. Like you are the bartender right now. Be that character, be that person until you're off the clock and then you're you again. But there's there's definitely that, there's that switch that you have to acknowledge, I think, that a lot of people don't figure out. They just think that they're working. Like, you know, you're the bartender's working, you're not working. <laughs> yeah, you switched into the bartender as soon as you punched your number into that computer screen. Yeah, I've been more sensitive to it because of a lot more, because I'll be doing my work at prime time and then when it's my turn to get off and oh cool i get to go check out this restaurant or something i sit there i'm like why am i even here there is no yeah. point to be here i i may as well have gotten uber eat i i, I get yeah. more attention from the an empty hotel room that i'm getting from this bartender right now mm -hmm. yeah that's one thing i loved about tony uh bourdain that he would he would go to the place he wouldn't always go to the fanciest places but you know he always found him like because he would end up he would go to a place and then he would talk to the locals and he would find like the good places to go from the locals and the locals would tell him where to go. And then he would always end up in a place that was awesome. And then a, a year later that place sucked because 10 people applied to it. And then there's a whole new staff there, you know, and I, I don't mean that for every place, but I just mean like that, that happens a lot. And so you kind of have to be aware of that too, where if there's a place that's being blown up on the internet or on, on TV, there's a good chance that if it's been over a year, the original staff might be gone already. Yeah, no, 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. And again, that's why, you know, Yelp and the only thing Yelp is good for that they can't lie about is the pictures. That's true. <laughs> you can't doctor a picture. When you look yeah. in, and I've also used Yelp for a lot of places where if I've gone in to go, do I want to talk? Somebody said it's a great bourbon bar or whiskey bar. Mm -hmm. I'll go to Yelp. I'll look at the back bar and I'll be like, wow. Yeah, just for the pictures, just see what they're holding. <laughs> not for me. Not we're not going to be on their back. Yeah. Uh, what do I see? Jim Beam, Knob Creek, Maker's Mark, 
bookers. And they only know one distillery. Come on. Price points or anything like that. But, uh, I mean, again, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't think that, uh, I know Shorty's has moved. I don't think you'd ever see a bottle of Garrison Brothers behind the bar of Shorty's. <laughs> Hell, if I'm going to stop going, or the five point, I'm not going to stop going to the five point just because I don't have Garrison Brothers. Of course, I'm going to go there. Just not but our you market. Wouldn't expect them to even like the five point is such a dive bar that if they had anything fancy, you'd almost question them. You'd be like, "What are you doing?" Like, <laughs> well, I appreciate that you call Texas fancy because that's usually two words that you don't associate. <laughs> fancy Texas. Pinky's <laughs> <laughs> out. <laughs> I'll drink. The, I'll drink the fancy Texas. Cheers. <clears throat> yeah that is uh, i think another one um follow up um a lot of the, the the lifelong uh friends and the lifelong contacts that i've made were were people that i met um while i was in japan uh the bar the bar was running in japan i mean literally uh madonna would be in one day and then it would be you know shaquille o'neal and, and kobe bryant uh because kobe bryant's father was a coach uh, for a basketball team uh, there. And then it would be, you know, I was on the field for the NFL Tokyo game, catching, uh, you know, returning kicks for, uh, what was the young John Carlo, the, the little Tampa Bay kicker with a weird nose. And I was there for practice, catching and throwing back, meeting all the NFL staff and um, IndyCar drivers, uh, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, uh, you name the band or anything. People would roll in, but um also, you know, we, we had astronauts and, uh, mm. and, and, and U.S. military and officers and uh, captains of, of um, the Ronald Reagan and the George Washington nuclear aircraft carriers. And nice. I would always follow up either by a written card or, or an email. Um, right now, with social media, we've become so desensitized to, oh, I'll shoot you a text. I'll shoot Human you contact. a Thanksgiving. You know what it's like when you get a, a, a Christmas card in the mail, a handwritten note from someone? You hang it on the wall and you save it for a month. <laughs> get in touch with these people. Follow up with your number one regulars at your bar. Find out their address from, from somehow or, or send it to their work or something. I mm. guarantee the loyalty and your tips will go through the roof. Because you're going that extra mile. You're being hospitable, not only in your own establishment out there. It's creating that human connection and being able to, to get it out there. I was able to do all this before the MySpace and the Facebook and the Instagram and, and the Twitter and, and all that. Um, you know, I was able to piss people off before Trump on Twitter. You know, and I just did it by the, by the handwritten note. <laughs> I, I, had, I mean, I had when the, uh, the NFL, they were doing the exhibition games in Tokyo. Didn't know who any of these people were. And, and guy rolls up to me and he asked me for five shots of tequila. So I put out the five glasses, start to pour the five shots. And then as I turn around, he's going like this. And I go, hey, put those fucking back on my bar. And he's like, what, what, what is it? I don't go to your job and tell you how to, or I don't go to your work and tell you how to do your job. I'm not done yet. And I put the five lines on it, and he laughs his ass off and leaves. I find out he's the head official for the, the NFL. He gives me the ticket. He invites me to the game. So I'm out there pregame with all the players, meeting everybody and everything like that. Three weeks later, we get a package in the mail addressed to me with jerseys for my entire staff. And he said, 
to the only person on the planet that doesn't tell me how to do my job. Uh, <laughs> fuck yeah, dude. That's so great. <laughs> and I, I gotta say, there's, there's really a there's really something I to it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I said. I said, I don't tell you how to do your job. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, talk oh, man, you made an impression on that guy. Stay in touch. You never know. Get a business card. You know, write them a letter. Do something like that. Give them stickers. Say, you know, these are the great things. Like, oh, I'm doing a pop-up. You know, mm -hmm. if you had all that information now and you're doing a pop-up during all this time. Or I'm doing a... Uh, these things, I mean, it, it's that personal touch that you can do outside the bar that really, really will build your business and separate you and, and, and really get you known, get a name for yourself. And it, it, it's an art that we've lost due to all the, the ease of the social media. And I mean, mm -hmm. I look at my own handwriting. I can't even read it half the time, you know, <laughs> yeah, but it, there really is an art form. Uh, Dan has brought that back with Garrison Brothers. We have handwritten cards and handwritten notes, and it really is something else. I mean, that's what we sign each and every bottle and we sign to, to individuals and people it really does make a difference uh it, it again it's the small things in life people forget about that it is the little things the little things go a long way man it really does it just shows that people give a shit about what they're doing exactly. and the fact that people give a shit about what they're doing makes what they're doing that much more special and it helps you appreciate it at a higher level i think yeah let's jump into um secrets of the industry this is our my, my recommendations and i feel like we, uh, we started that category also. I want to jump all the way back to the party bottle of Negroni or Boulevardier um, or just party bottles. Um, my recommendation, I'm gonna, I'll lead it off and then we'll jump to you if you don't mind, is, is you take an empty liquor bottle, you peel the labels off and you just have a bottle. And then you fill it like one third, one third, one third, and you have a bottle of Negroni, you have a bottle of Boulevardier. Um, uh, you know, you, you can go from there, but it's kind of one of my favorite things now to bring to a party instead of a case of beer or a bottle of wine is a bottle of Negroni. And just be like, hey, I brought cocktails for everyone. <laughs> Here, we just get a glass of ice and we'll pour some Negroni over it. And there you go. That's one of the beautiful things about the those equal part um, or just, just really simple cocktails is that they, they travel well. Um, so, Jane, uh, along those lines of, of uh, recommendations, what? Uh, how are you feeling? I think doing the frozen ones are a lot of fun. Um, it, it's something that, uh, you know, when, when we're at bartenders, uh, I know a lot of us uh, hate using the blender. It takes away from time, takes away from this. But uh, when you're looking for shock value and stuff, uh, you can do a lot of fun with friends, um, you know, for frozen drinks. Uh, it all brings back childhood memories, uh, you know, a milkshake at McDonald's or something like that with your folks or something like that. Um, we did. Um, one of the ones I did, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Whataburger. Uh, it's a big fast food chain down to the south. Um, Whataburger of, is cheeseburgers in yeah, Texas. Yeah, a lot of Texans got real, uh, real upset and uppity a few years back when uh, it got bought out by a, a Chicago firm and there was uh, threats to boycott it and all this. Well, that lasted all of about three days or something like yeah. that. So Until they got hungry for Whataburger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when I heard this story from uh, Donis, who is our master distiller, he was, he was telling me a little bit about the history and, and all that. Um, we got back to my uh, one of my bartender hideaways, and I had uh, the entire bartenders up there, and, and they didn't quite know what was going on for the, uh, the cocktail competition. So I was like, all right, let, let's do something just really fun and really out there. So I went out, and I started presenting, and uh, – 
you know, started doing what you do for a cocktail competition and share the story and a little bit about what you're doing. So I busted out a blender right away. Everybody's like, oh, where are <laughs> You motherfucker. This thing. So first thing I did is I went and got some salted caramel ice cream and I, I threw that right in there. And I said, because we want to mixologize this up, I added, a, you know, an ounce or two of Amaro in there just for shits and giggles. I threw some black walnut bitters in there like it's going to do a thing with salted yeah, caramel ice cream. <laughs> Open that ice cream. Do it to put in there and then, and then poured a bunch of bourbon in there and then, you know, blitzed it all up and I'm sitting there and there's, there's 20, 25 drunk people in this little room and I'm like, give it a taste because always taste. That's another thing I see so many bartenders in competitions and whether they've made the cocktail a thousand times they never taste it. I'm like, what it's are you taste. taste it, taste it, taste it. Mm-hmm. So I taste that and I was like, ah, oh, what does this need? And I hear crickets, right? And I hear Donna's in the background. More bourbon. I said, fuck yeah, these more bourbon. So I take the bottle out, start to fill it up a little bit more. And then I'm on a little bar like this. So nobody can see. And they had no idea where I went. So I take out a little plastic or a little styrofoam cup. I turn it around. And it's the Whataburger coffee cup. The little <laughs> in, in styrofoam cup there. Mm. So I fill up. The, the drink on there and instead of putting cookie crumbs or coffee i put some of our pulverized barrel char on top and i said so after the whole story about what a uh, what a burger and our bourbon and everything i present to you the what a bourbon cocktail <laughs> what a bourbon starts laughing their ass off sammy one of our distillers she grabs it and she walks up to me and whispers in my ear my nipples are hard <laughs> that's how i know this is a pretty good cocktail and we're just having fun with it right yeah so it tastes good that's that that's a that's a good sign so i mean getting out there get the blender out do some fun stuff um you know the frozen old-fashioned machines the frozen the gronies um one i've seen at more than uh more than one place i've seen one at monkey board in new orleans and i just saw one uh actually just down the road here from where i am in nashville uh not a penicillin but a penicillin for frozen cocktails so um, I think I, I probably noticed them a lot more maybe now because of the the laws that have changed uh, to allow for to go cocktails. So those frozen to go cocktails are a bit more acceptable. And those adult Capri Sun packages and stuff. So so they're always kind of fun things, a little bit different. That uh, that's been that's been a game changer. Is is the the to go cocktails? I feel like like nationwide, it's become normal. Where where it used to just be kind of a, a New Orleans and and maybe a couple of surrounding states. It, it was really it was really synonymous with New Orleans was the to go cocktail though, but now it's just everywhere. And it's funny because a buddy of mine and I were trying, to, we're like, hey, to go cocktails, let's start a business where we just make to go cocktails. So we we emailed the Washington State Liquor Control Board to to see what that would look like, and they gave us a stern lecture on how this is not the way things are going to continue. This is just a temporary thing, and we're like, all right, we'll see what you think in in another year or so, but. Well, crazy. you know the whole the whole history on the uh, the brown paper bag and a beer, right? Hmm. I don't. So that, that was actually in New Orleans. So if I'm walking down the street and I got a can of beer, and the police officer sees I have a can of beer, the police officer has to do their due diligence and stop me. Right. They're obligated. The police yeah. officer said, "Well, why don't you put that in a brown paper bag?" Mm-hmm. I don't see it. I know it's beer. You know it's beer. You know I know it's beer, but I don't have to do my due diligence and stop you because I as don't. As long as you're not being a dick. Exactly. So it was the yeah. same thing. One of the games I went to in Seattle. So we got off our bus, 
and we were mm-hmm. walking to the stadium, and we're walking down, and the officers just look at me and go, they tilt their head and go, red cup. I'm sorry, what? Red cup. Because I just got a clear plastic cup, so they know it's beer. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. They say, you need to put that in a red cup. I can see yeah, I, this beer. I'm like, oh, no, it's, um, it's sparkling, non-alcoholic cider. <laughs> They're just like, you need to put that in a red cup. Like, Come I on, man. Beer. <laughs> so as long as I don't see what it is, I don't have to bust your chops. <laughs> yeah. yeah we, it's like we, we all know the rules. Don't make me enforce them. <laughs> I was just like, I was so confused. Red cup. Like, what? Red cup. I was like, is this a scene out of The Shining? She's just getting it wrong? Red rum. What? <laughs> I love that. I love that because, you know, it's it's just them acknowledging that, like, it's, it's not that big of a rule. The rule's there for the drunk assholes that, that cause a problem. And they'll be dealt with at the end of the day. But in the meantime, like, just be chill, man. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a dick. Absolutely. Don't be a dick. That's the best. That's the best. Uh, that's the best advice you can give the world is just don't be a dick. Cool. I think that um, that on that note, actually, we we are at a good time um, to call this thing. Um, Shane, thank you so much for for coming on and doing this, my man. Uh, right right now, we're I'm gonna do my last call. So last call, as you know, is last call. Is there a, <laughs> a so it's so. When I do last call, I say it's it's time to take a shot, but also it's your shot to promote on uh, for you, any of the social media things. I know we've talked throughout this, and and all the social medias have been dropped, and people hopefully will be taking notes as they go along. But it's one more chance to kind of staple that at the end of the episode. Uh, hit us hit us with uh, the the your promos. Well, just uh, you know, we're the very first legal bourbon coming out of Texas. Um, that's all we do make is uh, Big Bull Texas bourbon. Uh, if you are in the industry and you're listening, I'd love to host you guys out at one of our bartender hideaways. Uh, so all you got to do is get in touch with me, Shane at GarrisonBros.com, or find me on Facebook or find me on Instagram at uh, Bourbon Provocateur. And uh, we'd love to share you more information and get you out to Texas, show you some of that hospitality, feed you a shot of bourbon every 30 minutes and uh, just show you what we're all about. We believe good bourbon is going to change the world. And uh, you know, we're doing it one glass at a time. So I appreciate you guys having me on this afternoon. Absolutely. My man. Um, That's perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. You guys do what he says. This bourbon, I can tell you it's, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. It's, it's what you want to drink right now. Um, well, that wraps up one more life from the well. Uh, thank you, first of all, to everyone who listens. Um, thank you, Shane, for talking and sharing your stories. And and uh, man, I, I learned a lot today. I know that anybody listening to this, I'm sure, did as well. Um, and thank you to Kelly for for keeping us uh, keep keeping us right where we need to be and and making making us sound better than we actually are. Um, until next time, cheers to y'all. We love you and uh, take care of each other. The world's scary out there. We need we need help. Um, shout out to uh, Barfly Scratch Distillery and an extra shout out to Garrison Brothers today. Cheers, guys. Can't wait to make it back up there. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. This was great. I, I'm excited for you to come up. I, I, I can't wait to, to see you in person. Until next time, we'll see you guys. And uh, there it is. Thanks for listening to Life from the Well, full of service industry stories and cocktail history. If you like our show and want to know more, check out lifefromthewell.com. Life from the Well would also like to thank our sponsors, Scratch Distillery and Barfly Mixology Gear.
Join us next time for another new cocktail and guest.